0: Alright, well welcome to uh, week four of our Habits of Grace class, and this is a little bit different to be doing it in this way uh, this week, but hopefully you'll find our time together uh, to be beneficial. I also hope that over this last week that you've taken some time and in a somewhat consistent manner been able to spend some time reading our passage from Colossians chapter 1. Um, I personally, I love the book of Colossians and specifically, I love this very first chapter. Um, And I hope you've been encouraged with this as well. You know, we talked about last week, the idea of meditating on scripture. And we gave some ideas of ways that you could potentially uh, try to help yourself do that and slow down, really soak in and chew on, um, God's word this week. And so we gave you these four questions to consider, uh, as you read God's word. The first one is, what does God want me to know about him from this passage? The second one says, how does this passage point me to Jesus and my need for him? The third one says, what verses spoke to me today and why? And then the last one says, what does Jesus want me to do? So what I want to do is I want to take a moment and just consider those four questions. And as I processed through this passage this week, to just think through uh, my answers to these questions. And I'm going to be brief. Uh, to not take up too much time. But the first question, what does God want me to know about him from this passage? And I'm, I could go on for a long time, just in order to save some time, I'm just gonna focus on those first uh, three verses from uh, Colossians 1, 15 uh, through 17. It just talks about how Jesus is the perfect representation of God. Uh, it talks about how Jesus was the creator of all things and that all of those things that he created are also created for him and for his glory and then in verse 17 talks about how Jesus holds all things together again I could go on like this passage just had so many different things about who God is um, in it but just to save some time I'll just go with those few thoughts the next question we talk about is how does this passage point me to Jesus and my need for him well, this entire passage is all about Christ. I mean, literally when it starts with he is the image of the invisible God, that's what we're saying is that Jesus is the perfect Im- uh, image of God. And so, um, yeah, this is all about Christ. Um, and I just love so much the powerful descriptions of Jesus that are here. Um, I certainly know that I am not these things that are listed, so submitting my life to Christ um is easier when I know who he is and that he can be trusted. So I love these descriptions, um, of of who Christ is this week. Uh, I also love in verse 21 that just reminded, um, you know, talk about my need for Jesus. Verse 21 says that we were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds and that Christ has then reconciled us. And now we are blameless and above reproach. And just that reminder of the gospel to say, I used to be this, alienated and hostile mind, but Christ has made me blameless and above reproach because he has reconciled me uh, with God. And then the last part, what verses spoke, or last question, or no, third question, it's not the last one. What verses spoke to me today and why? I love this entire passage, like I said, but if I was going to zero in on just one verse or one thought, I would probably pick verse 17. Uh, I and It just says this, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Uh, I just love the idea um, that Jesus is before all things and that he's holding them together. In our world, especially today, it feels like a lot of things are actually just falling apart. But this verse says that Jesus is actually holding all things together. And I just appreciated that reminder um, this week. Because again, I certainly don't have them all together. I'm not holding all things together. Sometimes I try Uh, But knowing that he is holding them all together, it makes makes it easy to submit my life to him. And then what does Jesus want me to do? This idea of how do we take this scripture and apply it? Well, the reality is, as I read through this, there's really not a whole lot of like, go do this. Uh, There's really not a lot here. Uh, I suppose verse 23, which says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Um, so I guess that idea in verse 23 of I want to be steadfast in my hope of the gospel, not anything else, just Jesus Christ and him crucified would be how I would just answer how do I, what does Jesus want me to do? I want to be steadfast in my hope in the gospel and what he has done um, for me. This week, our goal is to talk about this idea of how do we apply scripture uh, to our lives. <clears throat> we said a few weeks ago, That God's Word is for us. Um, We also said the Bible isn't primarily about you, but it is primarily for us. So the question then becomes, how do we take the things that we read? How do we take a passage like Colossians 1 and apply it to our lives? A couple reminders and things that you've probably, we talked about a few weeks ago or that you're familiar with, are two passages of scripture I just want to point out to you in regards to uh, application. The first one is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And it says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so we can see from this passage right here, it says all scripture is given to us by God and it's got things that it's supposed to accomplish. It's profitable for things. It's profitable to teach us. It's profitable to correct us. And reproof kind of goes hand in hand with that. It's good to train us uh, so that we can be complete and equipped for what life has for us. So there must be a sense that when we read scripture, we're not just, it's got, it has to be different than when we read just some sort of novel. Uh, when you read your favorite <clears throat> book, whatever that book would be, that's just a story about something, it's not training you for righteousness. It's not teaching you something. It's not Correcting you in something, they're just for entertainment. When we read the Bible, it's not for entertainment. There's this idea that us reading scripture should result in us being different, we should be able to apply what we've learned to our lives. We also have in James chapter 1, verse 23, we read this It says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face. In a mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Again, we have this picture that James is saying, We are called to be doers of the word. Like we are, we should not be somebody who reads something or we hear something from God and not do something about it. So, how do we apply scripture? Well, what I would encourage you to do is think through our passage from Colossians 1. As we study this passage and we are looking for specific things that we want to be able to do, we want to be doers of God's word, you're going to notice that the passage is full of things about God and, uh, and who he is and who Christ is, but there's really not a whole lot of specific to-do language. <clears throat> there are no thou shalt, thou shalt not uh, in that passage. And so I just want you to see that much of what we are, much of what scripture is filled with is not necessarily going to be specific commandments that we uh, need to follow. So we need to figure out how do we apply scripture. Well, before we jump into that specifically, I want you to think back uh, or think back, think to a person that you know of that is absolutely ridiculously passionate about something. So think for a second, <clears throat> can you think of somebody in your life that you know that is absolutely just ridiculously passionate about something? Um, and I want you to think about how do you know that they're passionate about that thing? Um, did it rub off on you? Like, did you become interested in that as a result of them being interested in it? Um, I have a couple different examples. I, I know of a few people in our church. Um you know, BJ and uh, Tim Nicholas and Carl Floyd, who are really passionate about running. Um, <clears throat> and I know that they're passionate about running because it's what they talk about. It is um, it's something that they absolutely love doing. Uh, you know, waking up on Saturday mornings on your day off from work, getting up early to drive somewhere to be able to go run in the woods somewhere. Uh, they love running and they love talking about it. They love doing it. And they love uh, just everything about it. Um, I also know, uh, many of you probably would know who Mark Myers is uh, from our church. He is ridiculously passionate about soccer. And he's one for me where I liked soccer, but it wasn't something that I was, you know, I didn't spend a ton of time or effort uh, paying attention to the U.S. men's national team. But because Mark loved it, he got me into it. And he... He was so passionate about it. He would go to all kinds of games. He would watch all of the games. He would go uh, to different places with groups of people who are passionate about it as well. And he would go watch uh, the games, to, uh, games with them. And again, it's this idea that the passion that he has for soccer, the passion that uh, those men from our church have for running, leads them to do kind of extreme actions. So they spend money on this habit. They talk about this habit, they give up sleep and hours of energy for this, uh, for this habit. And I would just submit to you as you think through what are some of the things that you know or people that you know that are really passionate about things, that how we actually apply scripture to our lives is actually very similar. We want to read scripture um, and use it to fuel the love and passion and that love and passion in our lives will affect all the different areas of our lives. Again, to use the analogy, Mark's love for soccer, it's what gets him to do certain things. It's the love of certain habits or certain things, not certain habits, certain things that you love to do that lead you to certain actions and certain habits. And so the big idea, number one for today is that the goal when we read read Scripture is not to amass a massive to-do list of, you need to do this, and then do this, and then do this, and then do this. But we want to come to Scripture to be astonished. We want to come to Scripture and say, what has God done? Who is he? What has he done? And we want to just be amazed at what he's done and who he is, and not to amass a huge to-do list. And if I'm honest, I don't always love that thought. I like the, the 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 concrete, like I need these five steps to make me better at what I'm trying to do. But often that's not how it works. Take a look at these couple of verses on how Paul describes how we grow and change as he's writing letters to different churches. Romans 12 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. So like we're going to become something, right? We're going to apply, we're going to change, we're gonna become better. And how are we going to do that? By the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Philippians 1, 9 and 10 says this, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Again, it's this idea that he's praying that their love may abound. Not there that they would check the boxes better, but that their love may abound. Colossians 1, 9 and 10, which is actually straight from our passage from a couple of weeks ago, says this, And so, from the day we heard, we had not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. so notice again this language of our passion and we want to uh, we want to be filled with knowledge and wisdom and understanding so that we can then go and walk in a way that's pleasing to the Lord um, So how Paul talks about growth is be, is this idea of growing in our knowledge and our love for God because if you think about it, I think it makes a lot of sense why Paul talks about it this way, because most of the daily decisions that you make on a regular basis are made on the fly. Certainly, we have plans for things, and, uh, but how we act and how we treat people, what we say, how we respond, our body language, our thought, thought processes are usually not things that are calculated. We just simply act and react. There's a quote from the book that just said this, our lives flow from the kind of person we are, the kind of person we have become, rather than some succession of timeouts for reflection. Think about that, that who, the kind of person that you are is usually going to just be something that overflows out of who you are, not because you stopped and thought about something and how you were going to respond. John Piper says this, a godly life is lived out of an astonished heart a heart that is astonished at grace. We go to the Bible to be astonished, to be amazed at God and Christ and the cross and grace and the gospel. Again, this idea of a godly life, how we're going to live is lived out of an astonished heart. We are amazed. We are in awe of God, of Christ, of cross, of grace and the gospel. And that astonishment is what leads to our lives being changed. So how do we grow and change in our Christ likeness? What I want to just submit is that when you read God's word, and we talked about, uh, you know, last week, the idea of meditating, we want to read God's word. We want to meditate. We want to chew on God's word. The goal would be that that reading and that that meditation would actually just lead us to being astonished, that we would just be um, absolutely amazed at God's goodness and grace to us. And that astonishment would lead to our heart's overflowing it would lead to our hearts being changed and wanting to obey what god has for us and when we have that proper understanding of who god is who we are what he's done for us our hearts are changed it leads to our change in action just as mark's love for soccer leads to certain actions may our love for christ lead to our uh, actions being changed as well I believe we mentioned this a few weeks ago as well that in John 14, Jesus actually says, "If you love me, you will obey my commands. It's the love that we have for Jesus that leads us to obedience. The order there matters. And when we when we like to get that little illustration backwards, we oftentimes try to change our actions and then hope that that will change our hearts, and that's just not how it works. I've heard the illustration that when we try to change our actions without changing our hearts, it's equivalent to us just mowing over the weeds. Um, We are in prime summertime season and my grass looks not so great. It's got plenty of weeds there. We've got clover. I don't know. We got, well, we got clover in our yard. And so what's going to happen is I can go out and mow my grass. And one of the, the moment that I'm done mowing my grass is the best that that grass is going to look for that week. Like it's got, it's just mowed down nicely. You can't see the, the little white flowers from the clover popping up. It looks really, really nice. But within a day, it's amazing how fast that those weeds can just pop back up all over the place. And when we try to change our actions without uprooting the weeds, without uprooting the heart issue, what happens is it's equivalent to us just mowing over the weeds and those issues that we struggle with are just gonna pop back up all over the place. Um, an easy example is my children. I mean, they give me all kinds of examples for things that I'd like to talk about. Um, I've been having the same conversation with my kids for years. And honestly, I wish that we could be doing this in person because I'd love to hear from some of you how, how your experience with your kids has been because I'm sure it's very similar. And the conversation that I have with my kids all the time is don't be selfish. You're not the boss. Don't be selfish. The selfishness fleshes itself out in about a million different ways from which utensils you're gonna use at the when it's time for dinner, uh when it's time for dinner, to who's going to go take a shower first or who's gonna get up the stairs the fastest, who's gonna go in the door uh the fastest. Or one of my favorites of all time was which car seat they were going to sit in. There was a time, and it was last year, where when it was just coming home from church, which literally for us is a one-minute drive, there would be tears and fighting over who is going to sit in which car seat in the car. And again, just selfishness, selfishness, selfishness. Now, my temptation when those things happen is to try to come up with a solution to fix any one problem, to find a fair solution that uh, that will make it work. So we'll keep track of who's in this, this seat one day and who's in this seat one other, uh, another day, and we'll try to switch. And... I try to come up with solutions to fix that one problem, but the reality is the moment that I come up with a system to fix the car seat problem, there will be another problem. The external actions are simply a result of the internal heart problem of selfishness. So I'm trying to get to the heart of the problem, which is selfishness, uh, which is a problem of the heart. And the same is true for us. How we learn to respond better to our boss, to our friends, to our kids, to our spouse or our enemies. How we learn to put the needs of others before our own. How we learn to do a better job of preaching to the lost. How we can be free of some sort of addiction permanently. How we learn to spend our money responsibly. How we fill in the blank. How we do that all starts with getting, which, with getting to the heart of the problem, which is the problem of the heart. We go to scripture to be amazed at God, to beg to have our hearts changed, to be astonished at His grace, and then the change in action occurs. Here's a quote from our book Meditation on God's words shapes our soul. Sometimes it yields immediate and specific points of action or application. Embrace them when they come. But be careful not to let the drive for specific actions alter the focus of our devotions from astonishment and seeking to have your soul happy in the Lord. Coming to see scriptures and I'm sorry, coming to, to the scriptures to see and feel makes for a drastically different approach than primarily coming to do. We want to come to the scriptures to see and feel, and be astonished at what God's done for us, instead of coming to the scriptures to amass a to-do list. And here's another quote. The Bible is gloriously for us, but it is not mainly about us. We uh, come most deeply because of whom we will see, not for what we must do. Become a kind of person, counsels Piper. Don't amass a long list. Again, this idea that we want to be astonished and amazed at who God is and may that change our hearts, which in turn changes our actions. And that's what we want to do when we think about applying scripture. Now, the second big idea that I want to just convey today is growth is slow. I think every single one of us would look at our own life and say we think we should be or we wish we were further along in our life in our life, and in our walks with God than we are right now. But the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus does not love some future version of you. He looks at you right now in your mess and whatever that looks like, and he knows that you are worth dying for. All of the pre- past, present, and future sins are taken care of at the cross. And then this thought, we become what we behold. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, We all, with unveiled face, face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And I would just submit that we are all beholding something. We are all becoming something. The question is just simply, What? What are you beholding? And then as you behold that thing, what are you becoming? Um, And the verse that we just read says, Beholding the glory of the Lord. And as we do that, we are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. And again, my big idea here is growth is slow, but it happens as we behold Christ. I love this idea, and uh, I don't know if this is intentional, but in in that verse, it says we're being transformed in the same age from one degree of glory to the next. As a geometry teacher, we talk about angles all the time, and one degree is so, so small. And if something changes by just one degree, it's not very noticeable. But one degree over a long period of time leads to a great, vast difference, I used this example a couple of weeks ago, but I'll use it again. The examples of my kids and how they grow. When I look at my kids from day to day, it doesn't really look like they're actually growing. But if I compare uh, one year uh, to another year, I can see clearly just how much they've grown. It's the same is true for us. Though we might not see a glorious amount of growth from one day to the next, hopefully from year to year, decade to decade, we'll see lots of growth in our life. But don't be discouraged because as we behold Christ, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. All right. And the last thing we want to talk about um, for this week is scripture memory, memorizing uh, scripture. Now, we just talked about how we apply scripture to our lives is that we want to go to God's words to be astonished. Well, one other thing that as we think about, you know, how we want to change, we want to be people who are more like Christ. Uh, I've often used the phrase that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. And what I mean by that is just simply this idea that I need to know fully uh, that I am f- completely and freely forgiven. Each and every day I need to be reminded of who I am, that I am a sinner in need of grace, but I of that I never want to move past to that. I want to just dive deeper into that idea and one of the things that I like to, to try to do from time to time and I'm not as good at it as I would certainly like to be is to try to memorize scripture that drives me uh, to that point. like that whole verse that we just talked about about being alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds like those kinds of verses and that we've been reconciled. like I want to know those things. I want to remember those things I wanna, and I want to and memorize verses that preach that to me so that I can be reminded of that on a regular basis. First um, Corinthians one eighteen says, "For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Like the word of the cross, the gospel to us is power um, to us who are being saved. And notice, it's being saved; it's an ongoing thing. It's not something where this is not just about a moment of salvation that happened, but this is a process of sanctification. of We need to know the gospel and preach it to ourselves." And one thing that's important with that is being able to know uh, scripture. And just as like something you already know, there's a lot of things that compete for our attention and our loves. And we want to be known as the people who our hope is anchored in the gospel and in uh, scripture. So I think if we were doing this together as a discussion, we would talk about why is it important that we memorize? Well, like I just said, if if we're trying to preach the gospel to ourselves, we need, it's helpful to have key texts memorized to know them, uh, to be able to do this. And if you even think about it, like Jesus hadn't obviously clearly knew scripture and used it, um, when specifically when he was talking, uh, with the devil after, uh, being in the desert for, for 40 days, we also need to be able to combat spiritual warfare. Um, I think we would all agree that our world is full of, uh, deceit and lies and distractions, And knowing God's word is truth, right? And so it's good to fill our minds with truth. It's also great when you're going to go share your faith to be able to have these kinds of verses right on hand uh, so that you don't have to go searching somewhere for something to be able to share with somebody. Psalm 119 uh, verse 11 also says this, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Stored up your word in my heart, memorizing uh, scripture. Why? So that it, we don't sin against God. So again, those are just some ideas as to why it's important to be able to memorize. Um, and obviously, I th- I find memorizing um, large passages of scripture or even sometimes just a verse can be somewhat challenging. So in the past, we've asked people for, and the book that we've read had some tips for how to memorize things. Um, so just a couple tips for you as you think about how you could potentially use scripture memory in your life. Um, it's helpful to memorize with a group of people, whether it's your family or maybe there's an accountability group where you can just say, hey, we want to memorize this portion, this passage, this verse uh, together. Again, accountability, as we've talked about, even just with Bible reading in general, is helpful and important scripture memory. Uh, it would be good for that as well. One of the suggestions we had actually from um, a somebody who else took this class in the past was the idea of taking it in the car. I believe it was somebody's, a uh, father who, like, they had a stack of index cards that he would keep on his visor uh, in his car. And any time that he was stuck somewhere, at a, even if it was just at a red light for a second, he would pull, pull the visor down, take a look, read one verse or check to see if he still has it memorized, put it back, and then move on with his day. Or if he was stuck in traffic or just having it always available there um, is great. And I, I also know that, like, even as I think about... Those little moments like, you know, going to a doctor's office and, well, we don't do that anymore, right? We sit out in the parking lot where you would have your car, uh, but we would, uh, you know, when you're sitting in a waiting room somewhere, like we're so, so quick to grab our phone, like what if we grabbed our, our verses that we're trying to memorize? Um, just a thought. Uh, from the book Habits of Grace, they specified these couple suggestions. To diversify your your picks, So you could pick an, um, a whole chapter, a key section, a key phrase, it could be an entire book. Uh, that you want to try to memorize, but just diversify your picks. Uh, the second one was take it with you during the day. This is the one that I think is the most thing that makes the most sense to me. Uh, they said to make it easily accessible, so you could do it. You know, some people learn audio, uh, audibly, so taking having audio of it in your car, maybe it's a piece of paper that you carry. Uh, I've done it before where I've kept it as the lock screen off my phone, so that's always just right there in front of me. But just having it somewhere constant that you can see it on a regular basis is great. I love this third suggestion that seek to understand, feel, and apply the text as you memorize. This idea that if you're just memorizing for the sake of memorizing, it's challenging. But if you are understanding it and feeling the weight of it and trying to apply it, well, that makes it easier to be able to memorize. You can memorize. You know things that are significant and you're passionate about and you are uh, it's important to you. And so make it that. Will help you to be able to memorize it. Um, I love the quote from the book. It says, "Learning the text by heart is secondary." Like that's the the point of scripture memorization is not memorization, but it's the the rest of this quote. Taking the text to heart is primary. We want to be people who know the word and live out the word, not just for the sake of knowing it. Um, Turn your text into prayer. So being able to pray back your scripture verses, memorizing in light of the gospel. Again, the idea that we're the whole idea of what we're doing this for is to learn about a person and not a text. So again, just that thought of using scripture to, uh, the, or using memorization to help in your scripture reading, to help you in your knowledge of the Bible and your ability to share God's word with those around you and to preach the gospel to yourself. appreciate you all listening in. Um, this is a little longer than I think I really anticipated it would be, but hopefully you've found some things that are beneficial here uh, as you listen to this, and uh, we really look forward to being back together next week. See ya.